Section 19 of Here and Hereafter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Campbell Shelp. Here and Hereafter by Barry Payne. A Brisk Engagement. He stepped out of the fashionable bazaar into the crowded street where the July sun flashed on the ugly and beautiful and on the gray background. He was a young man with the face of a dreamer, but his hair was properly cut, and he was as well and cleanly turned out as if he had been a soldier. He wore in his buttonhole a red rose. It was not his habit to decorate himself florally, but these things happened at bazaars. Some pretty fool girl had sold it to him. And Lady Mabel Silverton, who is not pretty but a dear sweet creature, had sold him iced coffee and drunk it for him. She would do anything for a charity, and bothered him to come and sing one Saturday night to her darling factory girls, who would be so very, very grateful. The hum of many nicely-toned voices and the passionate waltz of the mauve Hungarians still blended and swam in his ears. He still seemed to smell the scent of the smoldering incense sticks on the stall where Mrs. Bunningham Smith, clad in an oriental robe of thoroughly western impropriety, sold penny Turkish amulets at ten shillings apiece to those young men who were sufficiently fond of her for the purpose. He was stupid with it all. He left it, and the long string of carriages at the doors, and wandered out into the park, and he chose the more deserted part of the park. Yes, it was no worse than anything else, as his cousin had said when she had bothered him into going. But the young man was mildly, temporarily, and uncomplainingly bored with most things. There was too much sugar in the cup. He found the taste sickly. This London world in which he lived was too luxurious, too idle, and worked too hard at being too idle. He was weary of the mechanical, metallic frivolity of smart people frivolity without one touch of sincerity and earnestness to give it contrast and effect. It was the end of the season, and he would soon be away in the country, only to find London in the country. There would be the same people with the same bad habits, merely transplanted to a scene which did not suit them. He stood still and looked around him. There was a man with a crowd before him in the distance by the marble arch. He waved his arms and lectured violently. Children chased one another across the grass. Down the path towards him came a girl who held herself well. A tramp under the trees roused himself from slumber, and began slowly and painfully to put on his boots. And the young man thought it would make the very pleasantest holiday if he could change with somebody, even with a tramp under the trees for a few hours and get rid of himself. He chanced to remember that rose in his coat, and did not like it. He raised his hand to take it out and the girl whose graceful carriage he had noticed stepped shyly up to him. "'It is you, then. It must be,' she said in rather a frightened voice. In a flash he saw that the girl mistook him for somebody else, and, since chance willed it, decided to be for a while that somebody. "'Certainly it is,' he said. "'I do hope I have not kept you waiting.' This was more interesting than private theatricals but even as he spoke it struck him that it would be easier if he knew who he was supposed to be. She was charming, he thought, and not foolish. The face was full of life and expression. 
He noted that she looked at him and away from him in quick flashes, as if trying to hide a surprised curiosity. No, she said. I have only just come. I think we are both a few minutes before the time. You did not seem quite, well, quite sure of it when you recognized me. She laughed, showing her pretty teeth. You did not seem to be looking out for me. I was, but in the wrong direction. Yes, of course you didn't know which way I should come. Then I thought you looked rather too splendid for a solicitor's clerk. You don't mind my saying that? She added rapidly. So he was a solicitor's clerk in his new impersonation. This was useful information. Not in the least. We put on our nicest clothes for these occasions. My firm expects me to keep one good suit, to wear when I have to go and see wealthy and important clients, to, er, take their instructions. He felt that this was a happy touch. He was falling quite easily into his part. And, if I may say so, that must be quite your prettiest dress. She glanced downward at it. She raised her eyebrows, and there was a quaint prettiness in the willful twist of her lips. She seemed perplexed. I don't think so, she said. And what made you decide that it was really I? You were standing there just at the spot we arranged, and just at the time we arranged. You were wearing the red rose, and you raised your hand as if to call my attention to it. It was beyond mistake. But why did you say in your letter that you were of medium height? You are tall. Slightly over medium height, perhaps. I should hardly say tall. In many ways you are not what I expected. These preconceived ideas of people are always wrong. But indeed, you don't look the part at all. Really? No, she said. I should have taken you for a man of leisure. Wealthy, rather bored with life. Clever, perhaps. Certainly selfish. And she would have taken him for very much what he was. I will plead guilty to the last item. And now what shall we do? Do, just as we arranged, of course. We can stroll through the park for half an hour, talk, make each other's acquaintance. And then I shall see if in any way I can help you in your work and make your life happier. Suppose, said the young man, we change the program a little. Let me take you down to Bond Street and give you some tea there. The look of surprise became almost suspicion. She hesitated for a moment. Very well, she said. That will be charming. They had reached the park gate. The young man stopped a hansom and they got in. You are extravagant, she said. We might have taken a bus or the tube. We might even have walked. The young man reminded himself that he was now a solicitor's clerk. True, he said, but it is only a shilling fare. And Saturday afternoon is our holiday, you know. I shall insist on paying half the cab and half everything. That must be just as you wish. But if you do, it will be a disappointment for me. And it is really not a serious matter, even for me. She seemed to think this over. Lady Mabel met them in her Victoria, and the young man saluted her. Very well, said the girl suddenly. I won't pay for anything at all. Thanks so much, said the young man. But all of this, said the girl, much as if she had been speaking to herself, is not in the least like what I had expected. At the shop in Bond Street, he took her upstairs to a table in a secluded corner. You seem to know your way about this place, she said as she unbuttoned her gloves. I was here once on business, and I never forget places. 
Five times since we left the park, we have met people that you knew. Yes, queer coincidence, isn't it? And they were all wealthy-looking people. Clients, he said dreamily. All clients. Then, with an awakening interest, will you have tea or coffee? Tea, please. And they all smiled and bowed to you just as if they had been your personal friends. Well, you know, it's like this. I've had to deal with them in some very important family matters. Dark secrets. They possibly have the feeling that it is better to be on good terms with me, that I shall be more careful not to talk about their secrets, you know. Even as the young man said it, he was aware of the remarkable feebleness of it. So apparently was the girl. But I thought solicitors never talked about their client's business, she said. They don't, of course, certainly not. But then I'm not a solicitor. I'm only a clerk. Still, it's a mistaken feeling. I've often wondered how it gets to be so common. The young man felt that the game, though interesting, was becoming difficult. He reflected that at any minute people who knew him might come in and insist on talking to him. And then the girl would discover everything and never forgive him. And the more he saw of her, the more he wanted to be forgiven when the game came to its end. He was unable to place her exactly. She was not a typist. She seemed too educated to be a governess. It was even more certain that she was not a fashionable London woman. She might possibly be a student of one of the arts. She was a little imperious in her way, yet she had the kindest and friendliest eyes. She was transparently good, and he guessed that unconventionality was unusual with her. She had not spoiled its effect for herself by making it commonplace. And who on earth was this solicitor's clerk whom this charming person had meant to meet, and why had she been going to meet him? It occurred to the young man that he would like to wring the neck of that clerk, whom he was at present fraudulently understudying, for his infernal impertinence. Now, said the girl, I want you to tell me why you wrote in the first instance. This was a facer. He chanced it. But I think you know, he said, and it turned out very well. "'Yes, I do, more or less. "'I know you read my verses, "'and that you then wrote to me at the office of the paper "'and said the kindest things.' "'The young man shook his head. "'They were less than the truth,' he said. "'But after all, the idea in the verses, "'the kindred souls that fate keeps strangers to each other, "'that's not a new idea. "'You must have seen something of the kind scores of times before.' "'If I had seen it before, I did not remember it. I certainly had not seen it treated in that way. Your poems seemed to come to me like a message. This, for a young man who had not read one word of the poem, was distinctly good, or, if you prefer it, distinctly bad. Well, when you wrote the first letter, had you any idea of writing the second, the one in which you asked me to meet you? I had to see how you would take it. I know it was great presumption on my part to hope for anything of the kind. It was most good of you to come. I wondered how long it would be before you thanked me. A thousand pardons. I see little society, of course. I am shy and awkward. I never say the right thing. But you are not shy and awkward. You are not at all what I expected. I have your second letter here. Listen, I leave out the part where you speak of your loneliness. There are few lives, said the young man sorrowfully, more solitary than that of a solicitor's clerk. You don't know. Nor for that matter did he. Then the letter goes on. If you could make it convenient to spare me a few moments of your valuable time. Did I really say that? Of course you did. Here it is. 
these business forms ring in one's head they get into one's blood one uses them unconsciously and inelegantly i will read on if you could make it convenient to spare me a few moments of your valuable time i should like to have a go at telling you my story sympathy in my case has generally been conspicuous by its absence but i think i could depend on the author of the strangers i am rather a doleful sort i am afraid but i dare say you don't care for larking about any more than i do he had to hear that letter through to the end and there was a good deal more of it he had made himself responsible for the personality of a man who described himself as rather a doleful sort and said that he did not care for larking about and spoke of a thing being conspicuous by its absence and there was not even the possibility of protest he had to accept it he could not even groan out loud the punishment for yielding to sudden impulses was heavy indeed now she went on you see what i mean when i say that you do not at all match with the samuel pepper who wrote that letter his name was samuel pepper then it was almost too much this he felt would be a lifelong lesson to him he had to say something but he pleaded few people write and speak in just the same way that is not my point you write to me as a humble pleader for a favor naturally when you meet me you take something very much like the air of an amused social superior i hope not exclaimed the young man with real sincerity he struggled mentally after a correct samuel pepper attitude it was quite unintentional and no disrespect meant i suppose on a saturday out when i come up west i get a bit above myself in my station but i never meant to presume he felt that this had the right preparian touch of humble commonness in the officer at home you mean in the guildford street boarding-house quite so it's the only london home i've got in the officer at home i'm quite a different person oh please i don't mention the difference in manner because i care twopence about it perhaps i should say which did puzzle me at first but to point out an inconsistency which puzzles me and why you have not told me that story that you wished me to hear why is it that you have not even referred to it ah said the young man how often one gets to the verge of a confession and then shirks it believe me it is not an easy story for me to tell perhaps even it would be better for me to bear my burden alone very well and those poems that you have written you wish to show them to me to get my opinion and see if i could help you towards publication my fatal shyness you a writer yourself must know what that is he felt that he was quite lost and that the girl was getting angry and he wished he could think of some way out of it so i am not to have your verses or your story but i think i will trouble you to hear a little of my story you are not samuel pepper with my experience of story writing i ought to have seen that that was a make-up name to suit the part of a solicitor's clerk there is no samuel pepper your letters then were not genuine they were very well done as an artist i congratulate you the thing that puzzles me is that you could not keep it up better when you had trapped me into meeting you you cannot act a bit you have not even dressed the part you have not even taken the trouble to put a few verses and manuscript in your pocket i will tell you why you succeeded in deceiving me in your letters i live with my family and i write stories and verses i know they are not very good but the money that i get for them is a consideration and i hope with practice to do better you touched my vanity it is not often that anybody takes any notice of my work you appealed to my compassion 
that part of your letter where you spoke of your loneliness among the people at the boarding-house seemed to me to be quite simple and unaffected it made some impression on me i was interested in what you said about your writing and i remembered what a struggle i had at first myself i thought i could help you i felt safe because i trusted to your timidity and your sense of the difference between us so cleverly conveyed in your letters that was why you were able to trap me and it will teach me in future not to be vain or kind-hearted i don't know why you wanted to do it you have had your joke perhaps or you have won your bet you won't make the mistake of supposing that you have made my acquaintance or of writing to me again now i am going so that was it she had taken a firm feminine intelligent grasp of the wrong end of the stick she had also caught up her gloves her eyes were filled with tears of rage and he felt very bad indeed if he had asked her to stop she would have hurried away all the quicker he could see that our meeting was a chance one he said i know nothing of pepper or his letters except what you have told me you mistook me for the man you are going to meet i am sorry i did not correct your mistake since it has pained you otherwise i should have been very glad of it she sat down again bewildered chance she said pure chance i shouldn't like to say much for my case this afternoon but really i don't make bets or jokes of that kind i was at a silly bazaar in hill street this afternoon for a few minutes and some idiot sold me this rose i don't wear flowers and i was on the point of taking it out of my coat when you spoke to me the other man probably arrived after we had gone you remember you said that we were a few minutes before the time the girl leaned her elbow on the table and her head on her hand and looked at him intently it is too amazing she said i think you are telling me the truth now but how am i to know you have not behaved well you have deceived me there were perplexed pauses between her sentences i tried to deceive you with the intention of undeceiving you in the end you must own that i failed and that the humiliation is mine but it is true that i have behaved badly and it is true that i am sorry for it why did you do it i can't think why do you remember your first impression of me perfectly i am not clever but in other respects you were about right i was tired of everything and particularly tired of myself it was a sudden whim i began it in order to get away from myself but why did you go on with it i went on with it to be with you she looked away from him and there was a quick flash of color in her cheeks anyhow she said the mistake is at an end now i must be going but she did not speak very resolutely will you forgive me before you go why should i forgive you because said the young man with some audacity i have done you a very great service her eyebrows were interrogative yes i have stopped you from meeting this pepper person i know your motives i don't believe in the vanity at all it is natural to be pleased when one's work is praised i'm always pleased if anybody likes my music i do believe that you were actuated solely by your kindness of heart and nothing else but you were doing an indiscreet thing and i feel sure from his letters that this man would have misunderstood it even if he had not shown presumption in his manner to you i am sure he would have talked you over afterwards at his disgusting boarding-house and with his fellow clerks why did he propose a meeting at all why could he not have submitted his dog world to you by post if you were kind enough to look at it for him why did he suggest this red rose nonsense if he had not got some romantic ideas in his stupid head the man's impertinence simply staggers me she smiled a little you are right perhaps it was indiscreet but you are too hard on him i don't think so i want you to promise me you will not meet him you can write and say that you have changed your mind 
He can post his verses to you, if you want to let him down easily. Very well, I think that would be best, though I don't know why I should promise you. Goodbye. Already? I live away at Surbiton. I have a train to catch. Am I forgiven? Yes, quite. Then let me at least take you as far as Waterloo. She said nothing. But they went to Waterloo together, and in the cab they explained quite a number of things about themselves to each other. He also got into the train with her, and they had the carriage to themselves, and there he told her that he loved her and wished to marry her, and he did it far more beautifully than a bare record of the facts can suggest. She tried to speak three times and failed, so he understood her perfectly. And some few minutes after they had exchanged their heart's love, they also exchanged their names and addresses. Lady Mabel Silverton says that it is a perfectly ideal marriage. The world thinks that he might have done much better for himself. He is inclined to agree with Lady Mabel. His wife would say that she agreed with the world, but I should doubt her sincerity. End of section 19. Recording by Campbell Shelp.